Welcome to this week's Fit for Purpose. This week I'm joined by Tim Mortlock. He's the chief executive of a company called SMS. It stands for Smart Metering Systems and it's a market leader in the smart energy business. Um, over 25 years of experience and obviously right at the center of that transition that we're making as an economy but also in our lives to just be smarter with energy and to shift to a more sustainable version of Britain. Tim can tell us a lot more about that but also crucially about the work that his company is leading on social mobility. It's part of the Purpose Coalition and has launched its own impact report and there's a huge amount of good stuff that I want to I want to dig into. But Tim, before we get going, first of all, welcome to the podcast um, and tell us a little bit about SMS. And I think you've been with it from the word go, haven't you, and grown the business? Yeah, no, I have. Um, yeah, look, uh, well, good morning, Justine. Th- thanks for having me. Um, yeah, no, I've, I've been with the business for something like 26 years uh, now, nearly. Um, and and the, we're a business that, as you said, we, we sort of we install, own and operate uh, sort of assets like smart meters, which provide, uh, you know, reduced carbon for people, ho- hopefully reduce energy costs and, and as you say, help, help that transition to a to a smarter sort of energy world, which we're, we're all sort of engaged in, which has become really sort of front page news pretty much over the, over the last year or so in particular uh, as well. So if I'm buying a, um, you know, a new washer or dishwasher and uh, or, or getting a smart meter, is that something probably that SMS will have had some involvement in? Yeah, so we, we work particularly on behalf of uh, energy suppliers uh, rolling out smart meters. So uh, we've got something like 600 sort of uh, engineers in vans around the country going and installing uh, meters in people's homes uh, mm-hmm. from, you know, Land's End to John O'Groats. Uh, we have a you know a contact center that engages with customers to 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 book appointments. We have all the back office shedding to go with that. We've got, uh, as I said, that you know trained engineers in in vans, and this is sort of a quite a highly skilled sort of activity when you're dealing with electricity and gas. Uh, and we come and uh, knock on people's doors and 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 exchange the meter and and put that smart meter there. But then the critical thing about that is is not so much the meter itself; it's the data that uh, we're then able to take from that meter yeah. and pass on to energy suppliers to to do things with. is is sort of the critical part of it, really. But it, but it all starts with getting that meter on the wall. And I think what's really interesting is, as you say, it's the data that is the key to unlocking how I guess how people like National Grid can actually start to think about when to ask people to use less energy, as they've been doing recently for the very first time. Yeah, no, Joe, you know, I always used to get really frustrated. People would sort of say about smart meters, oh, they're, they're there so that you can you can have this in-home display and you can sort of turn, you know, to use less energy, turn the kettle off type of thing or turn the lights off uh, uh, and, and get a, a fairly marginal saving on your energy. And I always used to say, well, that, that is a reason to have a smart meter, but it, it wasn't really the reason. The reason was to enable us to introduce things like time abuse tariffs and to, to move load around in the days to have demand side management and as you say you know what you've really seen recently is national grid now starting to pay people who have smart meters to use energy at different times of day to uh, take away the stress on the network and uh, you know in a, in a world where you've got much more intermittent renewable generation on the grid that becomes mm-hmm. really quite an important feature of the grid and, and smart meters enable that now having said that over the last 12 18 months in particular um that 
that other reason for having smart meters, you know, to be able to get visibility over the cost and use of your energy has also become quite a, a, a real important driver for people for obvious reasons. And 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 so that's there as well. But but yeah, for me, the the fundamental underlying reason for you know for all this is about getting that data and enabling shift in changes in usage um, to align usage to, to renewable generation ultimately. I think it's absolutely fascinating because this is really going to almost certainly become part of day-to-day -day life, I guess, over increasingly over the years to come. And you've really been at the centre of that work to be able to extend it into all sorts of different homes. And I think before we get onto the social mobility stuff, I just wanted to almost tie it up to some of the investment you're making almost on the next stage, which is around battery storage for energy and, and, and almost to get your sense on how that builds on the work you've already done um, innovating smart meters. Yeah, so we're sort of best known for smart meters, maybe the name of the company is part of the reason for that, but that that you, we've always been engaged in a much wider array of things around the energy industry, uh, around the use of energy, helping commercial customers to reduce their energy consumption, um, mm -hmm. uh, to bring utility infrastructure and things like that. But, but one of the big areas that we've really moved into in the last few years has been uh, grid scale batteries. So uh, building, owning and operating big you know, 50 megawatt plus grid scale batteries that connect directly to the national grid. Mm -hmm. and enable the national grid to effectively store energy when it's very windy and there's you know a lot of renewable generation to to discharge it back to the grid uh when there's sort of peak in demand or, mm. or or when it's needed and and that balancing requirement is again a, a hugely increasing requirement if we're going to transition to a net zero uh, energy system um we've already you know as a country on the way there in terms of the renewable generation side of that uh, but you know when we have things like electric vehicles coming online i guess in simple terms you know, we all come home, plug a plug an electric vehicle in at six o'clock at night. You, you, you know, the electricity network is going to fry. So, without solutions yeah. like grid scale storage, uh, then uh, you, you know, soaking up that that uh, excess generation and putting it back into the network when it's needed, then we won't be able to to get to where we need to be. So, so that's become a real big feature of the business. And you know, the next stage of that, whilst we're doing that, those really big grid scale batteries. Next stage of of the iteration of business is to deliver the same sort of solutions, but at the smaller domestic scale again. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, taking that those 600 engineers in, in vans and helping, uh, you know, to install things like solar panels in people's homes, batteries in people's homes, electric vehicle charge points in people's homes and, and in business properties around the country. And, and I think that will, you know, be the next iteration of the business as well. I think it's really exciting. I mean, it's such a significant shift. And I think we all know that we've shifted to renewables and that was almost the first step of the, the journey. But then of course the problem is, well, when it's not windy, you don't get as much energy. So you can all start to see that actually some of that, that battery technology you've just talked about is then how you fix the next problem you get, which is, well, what about when we need lots of energy, but actually it's not been a windy day. And I just think it's fascinating to see how we're steadily grappling with each of these challenges as, as they come along. But it's probably worth us starting to talk a little bit about the social mobility side of all of this, because I guess over time, what you're doing, Tim, is creating some really new and different roles, aren't you, um, in order to deliver all of this work that you're you're innovating on? Yeah, Jim, one of the big things for me, when, when we stepped into the smart metering rollout, um, that's what we call a dual fuel rollout. So you've got mm -hmm. both electricity and gas involved. 
And, and before that, there was there was never dual fuel engineers. There was you had an electricity meter installer or a gas meter installer. You didn't have somebody who did both. So when this sort of roll up came about, you, you had to go about you know, bringing through a whole, whole new workforce in order to be able to to address that market and to be able to deliver that requirement. Um, so you know one of the you know, on the journey of our business, one of the things that that meant was that we you know we brought control of that engineering workforce in-house a lot more because we want mm -hmm. to make sure we controlled it. Um, we set up our own training center um, up in Bolton um, mm -hmm. uh, to make sure we could bring engineers through and train them and make sure we've got the right accreditations, the right skills, um, the right customer service uh, ethos, which is quite an important part of it mm -hmm. when you're going in people's homes. Um, and, and, and it was like creating a new workforce, really. It didn't exist before. And, and now I look at it and say, well, we've now got this really highly skilled workforce so what else can we do with these with this mm -hmm. with, with these skills you know beyond it and, and like i said you then look at the requirement of, you know if we're going to get to net zero for for other things like solar storage electric vehicle charging points air source heat pumps you know going forward all of that agenda um i, I think well wow what, what what a platform that that skilled resource gives us to uh, and things like that that training academy and and, and and all of that area to to build on that and to to, to help um, yeah, deliver the next sort of round of, of, of assets. So tell us a little bit. So it's based in Bolton in Lancashire. Um, it's it's really this this centre for you where you focused on learning and development. And I think I'm right in saying some of the, the research as well. So tell us a little bit about what happens at that um, academy, but also who's going to it and, and, and the work that you're doing on apprenticeships. Yeah, so when we uh, sort of been training and developing engineers, you, you, you know, if 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 you were if it was me, for example, start from scratch, never installed a meter in my life, you know, it'd take me sort of sort of up to 18, 24 weeks to to sort of go through a full end-to-end -end mm -hmm. training program there. Uh, but we're often bringing people through who maybe have been a gas engineer and then needing to learn about electricity or vice versa. So it's so it's not always by any means that long. I mean, sometimes recruiting, bringing people into business who are already, you know got expertise and, and, and the appropriate accreditation but every engineer gets put through the training center to make sure that we're um from a health and safety perspective apart from anything else to make sure that all of the competences are there that everyone is brought into the way that we expect things to be done uh, uh safely with focus on customer service um you, you know that we're dealing with electricity and gas as i said earlier so you, you know we've got to take the health and safety side of this extremely mm -hmm. seriously yeah um so every engineer goes through that training academy even if it's just well i've been doing this for five years and uh, i'm now coming into sms or we, they still go through that process and then go through a mentoring and budding process afterwards mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. we've also brought people through if you like from scratch who have never never done it before uh, got no experience whatsoever um and they're sort of going through apprenticeships and uh, and being brought through uh, accordingly you know i i know we recently put I think it's around 15 apprentices uh, sort of through who, who'd come through, you know, from scratch, if you like. Mm -hmm. I think 13 out of 15 made it, if you like, all the way through the programme. So we had a couple of dropouts along the way. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Maybe it wasn't quite for them. Um, but um, but then bring them through that scheme and they come out, you know, fully trained, you know, highly skilled, you know, engineers who, who, who have got, I think, a you know, wonderful career opportunity ahead of them with, with us and, you know, in the, in the industry. And on the apprenticeship side, that's something in the sense that I think you started back in 2019, but it, it seems like it's expanded quite rapidly since that first two 
apprenticeships you were doing in Doncaster in 2019? Yeah, no, um, it's it's grown sort of arms and legs of these things to do. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and we're doing apprenticeships, not just on that engineering side, you know, also in, in other areas you know, around IT and customer service and you know, digital side of things as well. Um, so some of that sort of apprenticeship offering is not just around uh, the, the engineering side of things that go, goes through there, but um, that training academy for us is really critically important in terms of the, the sort of the compliance side of things, mm-hmm. but the customer service side of things. Uh, I think it's also critically important. You, you know, we're, we're engaged in a rollout in smart metering, which will not go on at the volume it's going at forever. And yeah. one, you, you know, we, we want to make sure our staff and our employees see that we want a long-term sustainable employment for them. So mm-hmm. being able to demonstrate that we can reskill and extend the skills of those engineers into other uh, asset classes it is sort of equally important for me, really. So we, we can demonstrate to people that this isn't just a two, three year thing. This is about, a, you know, a, you know, a, a career over a, over the long term. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I think the, the other piece of it that was really interesting to me is the work that you're also doing upstream in a sense, getting people career ready, working with the charity Career Ready and the Aleto Foundation. And I think it would be good just to get a sense of how you see that fitting in with all of this broader work you're doing on opportunity and talent development. Yeah, well, I, if, I, I guess reflecting on my own journey a little bit. So I, I, I said earlier that I, I've been with the business for well, nearly 26 years, but I started with the business when I was still at university. There, mm-hmm. was, a, there was a summer job. And I, 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 to, to be honest, it was one of those like the previous summer I'd, I'd gone home and worked in a cafe and I thought, God, I don't want to have to go home and live with my parents again this summer. Um, and and, um, so, and got... so, so hang on. I, I'm, I think this is this is really interesting. So, so one summer you've worked in a cafe. I, I have to say I worked in Morrison's uh, cafe in the restaurant in Rotherham. And I probably wasn't at my highest performing. So <laughs> you're back at university and then you're like, right, mental note to self, find something different. So one day, how do you how do you come across this this opportunity that is going to change your life then what what's the moment that happens well, well do you know the true true story right so um somebody I lived with at the time I I, I was thinking I was chatting to somebody I lived with at the time about oh you know I don't want to go home work in a cafe again that type of thing <laughs> yeah and, and and um he said oh look I've, I don't know you've been in the career service at university for some reason and he said oh they've, they've got this scheme where they place people for eight weeks with a local mm-hmm. SME with a local small medium-sized business um so I, I went into on the back of that conversation I popped in had a chat with them they said yeah, yeah you you get paid it was a government well local government sponsored thing so you got paid 120 pound a week for eight mm-hmm. weeks um the local business paid well the business paid half of it the, the government funded sort of the other half if you like um and uh I said oh, right, okay well sounds sounds okay and they said yeah well we've got this small business um and it was a very small business it was three or four people in in it at the time um so it was it was completely a new starter basically and um they said oh they're looking for somebody who's good with databases um so i went home wrote my first ever cv top line <laughs> i'm brilliant with databases <laughs> um I'm, as you would as you would uh couldn't yeah i knew my way around the database but i but I wouldn't say what I was your but, degree i mean what were you doing at the time uh, history and politics history and politics <laughs> 
Okay, so podcast listeners, for any of you out there who thought Tim was going to say engineering, you were wrong. Okay, so, <laughs> so you're doing this, um, you're doing this CV. Yeah, so put, I'm putting it in a database of it, and then then sort of that got me into an interview, if you like, and and, and the, the guy who was one of the founders of the business sort of came and interviewed me. Well, I went to an interview, and um, and the chap. You know, we're chatting, having a nice chat, and, and and all this sort of thing. And then, to be honest, halfway through, I, I, this really, really is a true story. So, I mean, he found out I don't know how my my dad's a Methodist minister, and he was like, "Oh, fabulous! You know, good Christian family. This is terrific." <laughs> uh, and and then at the end of the, the sort of the interview, I said, um, "He said, you know, any, have you got any questions?" As well of, how many people are you are you are you looking for? And he said, "Well, we'd like." Um, two people to come on this placement over the summer. So I don't like great. So how many people do you interview? He said, but it was going to be three, but one pulled out. <laughs> um, so, uh, so to be honest, I, I, yeah, I, so I started with, with, with the business. Uh, there was, like I said, there was sort of four people there. It was, um, it, it was before we got into metering, we were doing sort of uh, uh, connections, uh, utility connections with a real focus on customer service in what sort of deregulated yeah. utility industry. And I, I did my eight weeks. I um I then carried on beyond that. I then went back to university for my third year. And so it sounds like you really enjoyed it. And and were you in there after a few weeks thinking, actually, this is really good? Well, I think um you because it was a small business, you had all these opportunities, even as a wet yeah. behind the ears, not even graduate at that point, to to engage in, you know, with we were working for people like um Orange at the time at EE as it now is yeah, yeah, yeah. people like this. So and you got to engage with quite senior people and board range people because you were you know it was like you were the last one in the door sort of thing and yeah. uh, and and so you were sort of open up to this world and, and one of the ways I only half jokingly describe my career is that um I was just kept so busy I never you know I, could, I, I never thought of going and doing anything else because I was too busy sort of yeah yeah in the job <laughs> yeah and, That's interesting. and um yeah and then you know we you know we went back to university graduated and 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 sort of stayed with the company ever since really and we went on a journey where we we grew the business. The the uh, you know got into metering along the way. Got into the you know all manner of, uh, of sort of areas within the energy industry along the way, and became very immersed in the energy industry. Quite passionate about it, um, and um, and passionate about the business really, and and um, and therefore I'm I'm I, I guess coming from that sort of background, I could give you other examples in the business, not just me as well. There's there's mm -hmm. uh, a lady, a lady who's our commercial director, I think started as a receptionist, I think I'm not insane. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we've got, um, a, a, you know, a director of data services who I remember joining over 20 years ago, who, who, who sort of just, you know, a fresh graduate who then went into what had never done IT, got into IT and then and sort of drove all of our data services forward. So there's lots of examples of that in the business. And, um, and, I, I sort of reflect on that sort of journey and uh, that I've been on. I really want to make sure we, we're giving, although we're a much bigger organisation now, that we're giving those opportunities to people now and that we're encouraging people to feel as passionate and committed to the business uh, as I've always felt. And and that's not always as easy a thing to do when you're employing 1,400 people like we do now as mm. to when you you know you employ four people. So you have to work at it a bit harder, I think. And um, yeah, and, and, and but but... That's a massive driver for me, is make sure we're giving people the opportunities that, that I really enjoyed and benefited from. And I think what's really fascinating is if you'd sort of been thinking, where will I really fit in and, and almost have a great career? This wouldn't have been, if you'd seen it on paper, um, 
you wouldn't have been going for that first interview thinking, right, this is going to be where I'm at and I'm going to join this and, and start it off. And But actually, it turns out there's just a match, isn't there? And it's not even necessarily a match on what your degree skills were almost and your strengths per se were um, academically versus the job. But actually, it was just a fit on 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 enough levels and on by the sounds of it on different levels in terms of you were just interested and on the same wavelength as what that very early version of sms was doing is is that fair to say yeah no definitely i I think the business had a real passion from the get-go to to deliver for customers and it was almost Mm -hmm. like you just the culture is you've got to break down any wall any barrier to deliver for customers and that, that you know and therefore there was always when you managed to do that and a sense of achievement that you were delivering something you know mm-hmm. positive and um and that sense of achievement you know I still get today in, in slightly different ways and and um and it's sort of a massive sort of driver behind it and I, I think you know you, you need to get that sort of feeling about achievement about delivering things you know we all have good and bad days at work but yeah, I, I always say to people, work is such a big part of your life. You think the amount of hours and time that you spend committed to it. Um, I always encourage people to 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 want to you know feel passionate about it to you know, to to get a sense of achievement out of it. Um, to you know to not have if you like what I what I see sometimes people have it's a fairly transactional relationship with work. It's something I go and do and then I come back and you have a work life separation. If you like, well, you you need a work life balance, but but actually. You know, I work is quite, an, you know, a big part of my life, and 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 I want to make sure that I enjoy it and and get something out of it, and I want other people to feel like that as well. And I think you can see that in the the way in which SMS talks about its purpose, which is serving our customers and also protecting the environment. And I think it really does give you a sense of the fact that it's it's that initial piece that you talked about that you felt really passionate about. Um, and, and, you know, and I used to have the same sense of achievement if I, as an MP, had really got something sorted out for a constituent that was a real problem. You know, there was a real I really felt like I'd made a difference that day, you know, whatever else was going on. And but I think to then marry that up with this much bigger purpose of protecting the environment, which is obviously really at the core of what you're able to play a big role in, I think is absolutely fascinating and 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 fantastic now I want before we um I talk to you a little bit more about maybe what you've learned from your time at SMS today obviously um there's quite a few cost of living challenges for people and and that's not just something in the wider community that's also something for SMS and your employees and and obviously we've, we've all been through COVID and and that's had its own challenge Within the business, in a sense, um, how have you almost taken everything that matters to you, but then use that to sort of help people navigate through what is actually quite a difficult time for a lot of people? Yeah, um, we, when you think back over the last couple of years, when you went through COVID as well, and, and all of the impacts of, of that people, and then the cost of living crisis, you know, I, I think it's been quite a challenging period for a lot for a lot of people, um, and and so. You know, going back to, you know, to COVID, we, we, we really tried to live our values, I think, in the way that we looked after our people. And I don't just mean financially, although that's sort of a part of it. Um, also, also about the well-being support that we provided to people 
Um, we've got some mental health champions around the business, the sort of focus on occupational health, um, sort of the, 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 the stuff around the edges, if you like, around, you, you know, just being an employer, um, bringing all of that a bit, bit more from the central around the benefits that we provide to people. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think just a lot of focus on, on that. And as I said, when you get to be a bigger business, that takes time and effort. Mm -hmm. yeah um, it's not quite so straightforward is it really yeah I, and and do you know we, we you know we've, we've got staff who've been you know real loyal servants to business who, who on occasions have struggles in life okay and mm -hmm. and we need to support them and um i, I think the well-being sort of agenda is therefore being quite a, a, a big part of where we are yeah clearly as you said as well over you know particularly the last 18 months we've had the cost of living challenges so i think you know, we, we've been making sure we do things like we are an accredited living hours employer, we're accredited real real living wage uh, employer as well. Uh, we've made sure we've got, try to keep ourselves ahead of that, not just sort of ticking yeah, yeah. And, and doing it uh, as well. Um, we've done things like we made a, you know, a one-off payment to all of our staff uh, well, uh, back in, I think it was November, um, to sort of help towards sort of cost of living sort of issues as well. Um, so we're, we're, we're trying to live our values, if you like, and and, um, and we're trying to, at the same time, sort of encourage everyone in the business to live those, those values in terms of the way that we, we treat and, and work with each other as well. Do you think just on the wider policymaking agenda, obviously you've got budget in March and all of that, but do you feel there are some real learnings I do, but do you feel there are real learnings for policymakers on on looking at almost that bigger footprint that the SMS has almost had in mind as it's steadily steadily developed? Um, yeah, I I think on one hand, you know, I'm I'm sure there are lots of businesses like us who are trying. You don't we don't get everything right, but we're doing mm -hmm. our damnedest to, to try and make sure that we the way that we operate our business is sustainable for the long term and that we we, we you know, put our people first as well because we, we have one of these sayings that you probably heard me say before just saying but you know we if we put our people first if we look after our people they will look after our customers and then people like our shareholders you know we don't have to worry about so so you so you've got that side of things so i think support for that sort of agenda is important i think yes. when you look at the you know the, the you know as we've said, we're, we're heavily engaged in the carbon reduction sort of agenda. I think government's clearly got to play a big part in making sure that, that businesses like us and, and lots of others besides um, are able to make sure we've got the right skills in the country, the right resources in the country, the right policies and frameworks in the country to enable us to get on and deliver uh, that sort of net zero. One, one of the you know, big frustrations I have is you know, we, when you talk about things like net zero in 2050 or, or, and, and before, you know, the vast majority of the technology solutions that we need in order to get there, we already have. It's, mm -hmm. it's, not, it's a question of willpower for me. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. To, to and, decide to do it faster, basically. Yeah, and, and, and enabling or supporting companies like ours to invest in the resources, invest in the skills yeah. that are required to help us get there. Um, and you know we're we're absolutely trying to do that under our own steam, and clearly you know government's got a big role to play in in getting us there as well. I think I think it's been um, a fantastic discussion, and just reflecting back on your own journey, which I think is, I mean, well, it's just often how it works, isn't it? But if you were 
if you were reflecting almost the best piece of advice that you've been given, other than your friend who you had to chat with, but the <laughs> best people of, of advice that you've been given, what would you say it was? Um, well, I've, I don't, I've had lots of good advice over here. And, and one thing I'd say to, to anybody particularly is, as you go on in your career, you know, getting advice and people and having people who you, you listen to and get, um, you know, if I say anyone who in my type of role who thinks, well, you just, you, you get, you, you have all the answers, you're very wrong. Okay? But, but the, the, the best piece of advice I've ever had is that God gave us all two ears and one mouth. <laughs> and, and you should listen and speak at the very least in that proportion, you, you know, so listening to people, listening to customers, listening to your staff, um, and then sort of acting on it, uh, uh, you know, is the critical thing, really. Um, I, I'm, you, I think we all occasionally don't get that balance quite right. I'm sure I'm guilty of that a lot of the time. <laughs> um, but I think it's it's brilliant advice. And in terms of not just advice you've been given, but advice you'd yourself give, having had the journey you've already had to other people, um, what would you say to maybe maybe the, the little Tim, Tim at school, uh, what would you say to Tim at school if you were if you were revisiting that person? Yeah, well, you know, I remember at school when they used to do things like, oh, you tick these boxes and answer these questions and they'll tell you what career you're going to have. And um, mm -hmm. I, I think mine always came out. I was going to be a lawyer or something like that. And, <laughs> right. And, yeah. And, and I didn't go down. That, you know, and, and then I, you know, I think about my kids now, they, they sort of say, well, what do you want to be when you grow up type thing? And they go, oh, I've got no idea. Well, there's nothing wrong with having no idea. I did a fairly generic degree. And then. But even then in my career, although I've been in the energy industry, I've done a wide variety of things. One of the, the, the things that keeps me interested is the fact that we we don't stand still. We, we do lots of new things. So I'd, I'd say to, to any people sort of earlier in their career or, or, or at any stage, really, you know, don't be too blinkered about, well, um, I can't do this or that's not a road I could go down. You know, I, I, there are lots of people in our, in our business, certainly, who have who've gone into down paths that they didn't originally think they were going to. To, to go down um so yeah just be open-minded about, uh, about that sort of thing and the energy industry you know as an example it's a terrific industry to work in but um but you when we've recruited people right from the from again from the start of the business and this is, is true of the engineering side as well as sort of the customer you know the back office customer service side the main thing we wanted were people who were able to deal with people and good with customers and good with people mm -hmm. um so if you had that we could you know you could train and learn anything else really um it, but but you found that it's very difficult to teach that <laughs> um that that core skill set so so that was a big thing for us and look um in in terms of the career thing as as i already said you know for me work is just a big part of your life you spend a lot when you work out you spend an enormous amount of hours and you percentage of your life in work so I, I just think it's you know being passionate about it and 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 um you know wanting to sort of do your best if you want to put it like that but but yeah get get enjoyment and achievement and reward out of whatever it is that you're doing and uh and, and seeking that that that's just the, the big thing for me because um i know we all need to pay the bills and we all need to earn money and and um that's you know the number one thing uh, you know looking after yourself and your family from that perspective but um but the next thing is yeah you it's a huge part of your life you want you want to get you yeah. want to get enjoyment out of it so try and find something where you have a real sense of purpose and and you feel like it matters to you on a on a broader level i think that's a 
brilliant bit of advice um, to finish on. Tim, it's been an absolutely fantastic podcast. It really has. I just think there's so much to learn in, in lots of different ways, not just about what SMS is doing, but just your own journey. I just think it's such a typical example of how if you can just be open to those opportunities and go with them, you know, sometimes they can really lead you in great, interesting directions. Um, Tim Mortlock, CEO of, of SMS PLC, it's just been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. So thank you so much.